After the two-week absence on my part, and then last Sunday being Mother's Day with an emphasis on that, we come this morning to get back into our study of the epistle of Second Peter. <clears throat> Before rushing in after this layoff into the third chapter, I want to go back to the last two verses in chapter 2 and uh, re or really enlarge upon what we touched upon in our study a month ago. Second Peter chapter 2, <clears throat> beginning with verse 21. And I'm reading from the expanded translation that we worked on as a result of taking the Greek text in our verse-by-verse study of it. For it kept on being better for them not to have made it their purpose to fully know the way, the one of conformity to the specifications of the plan, than having made it a principle to fully know, to make it their purpose to once and for all turn from the set-apart commandment delivered as a matter of principle to them. Has happened to them the specific thing that is the true pithy saying, the dog abruptly turned again back to its own vomit, and the sow, having as a matter of principle participated in being completely bathed, going into her wall of mud. In our study of this passage, we ask the question, when is ignorance better than knowledge? And our text provided the answer that it kept on being better for them not to have made it their purpose to fully know the way, the one of conformity to the specifications of God's plan than having made it a principle to fully know, then to make it their purpose to once and for all turn from the set-apart commandment delivered as a matter of principle unto them. So the answer provided by the text is that ignorance is better than knowledge when the one gaining the knowledge rejects it once and for all. Today we need to explore that further by asking the question, why was ignorance better than knowledge? And the answer appears to be, when there is no knowledge, there is no accountability. I cite Romans chapter 4 verse 15 which says, For where no law is, there is no transgression. Now, if we weren't to explore that further and we were to take it at what appears to be an apparent connection between these two passages of study, we would come away with the idea that forget evangelism, forget world missions. It's better for people to be ignorant because if they're ignorant, they don't have any accountability. But don't rush off with that because Paul straightens that issue out for us in the book of Romans. Paul, making that statement in verse 15, 
that where there is no law, there is no transgression. We need to back up to verse 13. And so, moving out of Second Peter and going to the book of Romans chapter 5 in our study this morning, we begin at verse 13. Paul says, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, that's the catch. There's that word. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, speaking of Adam, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of grace shall reign in life by one, that being Jesus Christ. Even so, the righteousness of the one, the free gift came, upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So that clears it all up. (laughs) Maybe we better look at it a little closer and uh, try to fully understand what Paul is setting up. We might summarize that as even though there was no law, death was still the problem of man and the new birth could only come through the grace of God. And uh, the full knowledge on the part of the false teachers that Peter speaks about, having understood the true way of salvation and the provision that God has given to reject that, to turn it away, to turn away from it permanently, then it would have been better for them not to have had that full understanding so that there could be down the road a chance for them. But no, they've got enough knowledge. They've made their decision and it's done with. Now, should they change their decision, there would still be salvation available to them. But they're not going to change their position according to the writer as he explores that particular circumstance and situation. So at the conclusion of our study last time, we introduce this passage, Romans 5, 13 through 21, and 
I think we need to go back and look at it in greater detail. I just kind of gave a summary over it, but there's a lot in that passage, all of which we'll not digest today, but if we can understand the basics and be able then to relate as we move into the third chapter of this second epistle of Peter, where we start laying out the principles and the guidelines once again for living the Christian life. So look with me at verse 13 of Romans 5. For until the law was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. So before the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not charged, that word imputed, charged to one's account. The word imputed is the Greek word that identifies an accounting term of charging to one's account. So this verse tells us that up until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not charged to one's account when there is no law. But hang on as we move to verse 14. Nevertheless, That's the key that I pointed to when we read the text. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Literal reading of that says, Until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not charged to one's account where there is no law. Yet in spite of that, death reigned, from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the same similitude on the same basis as Adam's transgression. Paul is saying that sin is not charged to one's account if there is no law, but the fact that death continued to reign from Adam to Moses, that when there is no law, is proof that death came upon all of mankind as a result of Adam's transgression, and all of mankind came under condemnation of death as a result of the transgression of Adam. As a result of Adam's sin, the life that is propagated to the human race from that fallen beginning is body and soul, but no spiritual life. We are born spiritually dead. And that's the entire purpose of Jesus Christ coming, that He might give us the opportunity so we can experience the new birth and be be body, soul, and spirit. As a result of Adam's sin, God said to him in the Garden of Eden, the day you eat of that forbidden tree, you will die instantly and will die in the future. There were two deaths that were identified in that, and they're very clear to us in the Hebrew grammar, but not all of us read Hebrew and understand the grammar of it, and so we need to get an understanding of that. Death is the result of the fall of Adam. Remember, there were two specific trees that are identified in the garden. 
out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight, good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. By eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God blocked access for man to the tree of life. We are told in verse 22 of Genesis 3, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove man out, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. I heard one preacher say one time that Adam and Seth were out walking uh, through uh, that earth, and they passed the Garden of Eden, and uh, Adam said, or Seth said to Adam, Dad, what's that? And Adam is supposed to have replied, Oh, your mother and I used to live there before your mother ate us out of house and home. Now, I haven't found in Scripture documentation for that, but he was as guilty as she was as well. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was still there in the midst of the garden. Had they eaten of that tree, dying spiritually, had they eaten of that tree, they would have lived forever in their sins. And so God blocked access to the tree of life. Remember the statement that was made that dying you shall die. He lived to be 930 years old. Uh, even after eating of the forbidden tree, death, that second death, that uh, aspect of physical death, then did come. So after death, man has an appointment with judgment. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. The reason for that is the wages of sin is death, according to Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Revelation chapter 20 verse 14 says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So the lake of fire and brimstone for eternity is identified scripturally as the second death, with physical death being first, and then the second death. But there is spiritual death. Remember, we looked at seven different uh, usages of the word death in uh, the scripture and identified seven different kinds of death. Spiritual death is the inability to communicate with God, to understand spiritual things. Physical death is the separation of the soul from the body. Then we 
have that aspect of the second death which will come at the end of time when they are thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone forever. Uh, we have, uh, in addition to that, uh, the death that was mentioned by the prodigal son's father. This my son was dead and is alive again. That was operational and productive death as he talked about the broken fellowship between them. The rights were there, but they weren't accessible while the son was in a foreign country and needed to return there. And then Abraham is referred to as being dead when Isaac was conceived. We know he wasn't dead physically, but rather he speaks of it reproductively, uh, beyond the age of, re of being able to reproduce, and yet the promised son was given. So man is condemned as a result of the sin of Adam and of the spiritual death of Adam. But if we go back to verses 9 and 10 in this fifth chapter of Romans, we'll see that those that are in Christ are forever acquitted. So the question is, are you in Christ? Then in Christ we have spiritual life and the second death hath no hurt upon us. Look at verse 15 then in Romans 5. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, and much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. Let's look at that a little closer. The word but indicates we're going to make a contrast between the death that was identified in verses 3 uh, verses 13 and 14. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. The free gift is different from the offense. The offense, according to the Greek word, refers to a violation of a known commandment. The known commandment was, Thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that stands before uh, in the midst of the garden. That was the commandment, and the offense was to violate that commandment on the part of Adam. Uh, of Adam. But not in the same way as that is the free gift. The free gift is the, uh, the word grace, the charisma. It is God's grace provision, it doesn't come in exactly the same way. We had no control or, or no say in our being born dead as a result of the one act of, of Adam. But with the one act of Christ, we have a choice and we have a say in it. So the offense is different than the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ, hath abounded to the many. 
by means of the offense, the violation of the commandment not to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, by violating that commandment, the entire human race fell. So that the ones propagating that race were were propagating it in death rather than in life, in that they had died spiritually as a result of their sin. So he encourages us that we ha- while we had no option in that circumstance, we do have the option as it relates to the gift of, of Christ, the gift of God. And that word gift is the word grace, charis, from which we get that understanding that in receiving God's grace, we get God's righteousness credited to our account. We get God's resources available to live the life, and we get God's realm or His kingdom uh, for an eternal dwelling place. So verse 15 says in its expanded translation, but not as the offense is the grace gift, for if as is the case, through the offense of the one the many died, much more the grace which is from the source of God and the gift of grace which is from the source of one man Jesus Christ exceeded what was needed for the many. He made all, met all the requirements that we might be acceptable before God. All of that was met in the person of Christ. Paul continues in verse 16. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses under justification. All of the offenses as a result of God's grace are covered under the doctrine of justification. Justification is translated from the Greek word diakama, uh, which means to be acquitted. And it carries in that word, there is the development of conformity to the specifications of the plan. And we have a close association then with righteousness by the word justification. It simply identifies that we are acquitted. We have been declared just. The There is no condemnation, according to Romans 8.1, to those that are in Christ Jesus. So while we were born with that condemnation, we can receive Christ as Savior, and as a result of that, we are no longer condemned. We are declared just. We are acquitted And in that acquittal, we have then eternal life. I would point out that justification, that word, is in the subjunctive mood, which means it's potential. As a result of Adam's sin, we died without choice. But as a result of Christ's provision of grace, it is a matter of choice that we receive the acquittal and are declared just. 
So it should read this way, if as is the case, by one man's offense, the death reigned through the instrument of the one, with much more certainty, the ones receiving the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will in life reign through the instrument of the one man, Jesus Christ. So in Adam all have died and all have been condemned. But in Christ we have eternal life. We are acquitted by our faith in Him. Verse 17 of Romans 5 says, For if by the one man's offense death reigned, by the one much more they, that is the ones which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. The identification here in this text, it says for if, and uh, that if is a first class condition, we should translate it in our English by the word since. For since by one man's offense death reigned, since that is true, then by one much more they would receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness then have that acquittal before God. Verse 18 continues, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all unto justification of life. That word unto, that preposition identifies our being entered into union with Christ so that we share His eternalness and His righteousness is credited to our account. Verse 19 continues, For by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one unto eternal life through Jesus Christ. I skipped something there. Shall, be, shall many be made righteous? Let me read that again. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, shall many be made righteous. See, that word shall indicates the possibility, the potential, the availability to whosoever will. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But just because Christ died on the cross and paid for our sins, that that does not immediately redeem us. We have to accept that gift of grace and uh, embrace Christ as our Savior to accept what He is offering. And so shall many be made righteous rather than are many made righteous. We have the potential, but we must make the decision. He continues in verse 20, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Notice, 
that the reason for the law to come was to amplify or magnify the reality that we are dead spiritually and must be born again. That we're incapable on our own abilities, our own efforts, to meet the standard of a righteous and just God. And so we were given the law, not as a means of salvation, but we were given the law as a means of revealing to us where we stand and to be able to recognize sin in our life and therefore the urgency and the need to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. So God gave the law as a schoolmaster, as a teacher, to teach us what sin is and to help us identify with the reality that we have all sinned and come short of the glory or the very character of God. So the law came to reveal that. Death was here before the law as a result of Adam's sin, but the law came to magnify our problem and help us understand the need of the new birth. Verse 21 says that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So the righteousness that was demanded by the law was there to show us our failure, but it was all fulfilled in the person and the character of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He met all of the obligations in order order that He might provide eternal life to those that would call upon His name. This passage then should read, as we have it in the expanded translation uh, in your study guide, for if as is the case, by means of one's violation of a known standard, the death reigned by means of the one with much more certainty than the ones receiving that which exceeds what is required of the grace and the gift that is from the source of righteousness will in life reign through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, therefore, as through one violation of the known standard entered all men into condemnation, in the same way, through one righteous act came all into acquittal of life. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were constituted sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many shall be constituted righteous. But law entered in order that the violation of the known standard might be excessive. But where sin was excessive, grace was even more excessive. In order that just as sin reigned in death, so also the grace might reign through the instrument of righteousness into eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord of us. 
So when condemned man accepts Christ as his personal Savior, grace is given. Remember, grace means God's righteousness at Christ's expense is given. Through grace, we receive the gift of righteousness and along with it then the resources to live the Christian life and the very realm of God, the kingdom of God for eternity. Just as death reigned as a result of one transgression, so also life will reign through the act of one's righteousness committed to us with His death on the cross of Calvary and the offer, whosoever will, let him come. The Mosaic Law, entered in order to help us understand the excessiveness of Adam's sin. But where sin was excessive, God's grace was more excessive. As a matter of fact, the preaching of the Apostle Paul under on the grace of God stirred up the rire uh, and anger uh, of the uh, Judaizers to the extent that they were claiming Paul was saying sin, sin, sin. As a matter of fact, one of the uh, Gnostics, the Greeks who had converted to Christianity, uh, started a movement. Paul said where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So if you want an abundance of grace, sin. The more you sin, the more grace you get. And of course that followed into the same uh, context as Greek Gnosticism. The Greek Gnostics had two ways to get the soul out of the body into uh, and the spirit into the pleroma so you would not be confined to a body that was evil. Uh, the one way was to give up everything in life that might bring happiness. Move off into a monastery, eat bird seed, contemplate infinity, and your spirit would get so fed up with that lifestyle, it would move out and you had achieved your objective. That didn't appeal to everybody to move off into a monastery and live on bird seed and contemplate infinity. Uh, there were those whose trend uh, in their lust pattern was more toward the immorality. So they came up with a second stanza of Just As I Am for their salvation, that if you want the spirit out of the body and be able to be free and away from that, that body, then sin. Uh, participate in immorality. The more immor- immoral you become, the more fed up the soul or the spirit will get and will move out. So they had temples with prostitutes, male prostitutes and female prostitutes, and they had their wild orgies and whatnot, so that you could drive the spirit out and be free at last. Well, a man by the name of Serenthus uh, picked up on the first aspect of that and tried to bring that into the church, that you need to to live a life of abstinence. Yeah, it would help if you moved into a monastery and contemplated infinity and lived off a bird seat. And so, uh, Serenthus brought that doctrine into the church. A man by the name of Nicholas, a 
deacon, one of the first deacons of the church, uh, came out of Greek Gnosticism too, and he brought into the church the other side of that. Uh, be immoral. The more you sin, the more grace you get. So sin, 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 and experience the grace of God. There will always be perversion of truth. The truth is there if we seek it and want to understand it. No, it's the grace of God that is available to all men everywhere. And these in Peter's epistle that we have read about, these false teachers could well have included Serenthus and Nicholas uh, in uh, his awareness and knowledge of that, that the idea that these teachers had come to a knowledge of the truth and had rejected it. Now, we know that in the grammar that is uh, given to us that in which this passage is written, that their decision to reject it was once and for all. If they temporarily rejected it, and still went back and later and received it, then it would not have been better for them not to have known. But it was better for them not to have known and to have come to a conclusion to reject it. The emphasis is upon the rejection once and for all of the gospel of grace. In our previous study, we saw four words which explain the mechanics of justification. The word sin, the word condemnation, the word justification, and the word righteousness. Sin entered the world through Adam's one transgression. Condemnation then came upon all of mankind as a result of Adam's sin. Justification was provided through the virgin birth, the sinless life, the sacrificial death, the victorious uh, resurrection, the glorious ascension to His Father, His present day intercession on our behalf. Justification was provided through one, and that Jesus Christ. Righteousness then is available to all that call upon the name of Jesus. Eternal life is the result of man's appropriation of God's righteousness, which is offered in grace, but it's appropriated by our childlike faith as we place our weight, our dependency, our acceptance upon Him. Man is eternally acquitted as a result of our personal faith in Christ. So, better for them not to have known is incomplete. It's better for them not to have known and to made that decision to reject the gospel of Christ. For there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus. He is the only one that met the commands of God perfectly. He died self-sacrificially that He might provide 
His righteousness to us. And we appropriate that by acceptance, by reliance upon it. So it begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be found. As we move into the third chapter of this second epistle of Peter, we'll see the provision God has made and the promises become reality as we look at those promises and provisions that are available to us if we'll call upon the name of the Lord.